You're listening to The Dollop on the All Things Comedy Network. This is a bilingual American history podcast where each week I, Dave Anthony, read a story from American history to my friend. Uh, Lover of beaches, a man with pockets, doctor of science, Gareth Reynolds, who has no idea what the topic is going to be about. Do you think stealing someone's craft? Stealing? Stealing? You're stealing my craft. You're stealing my essence. Stealing? Ste- Sir, I merely... That's my essence. ...have had, a, had an idea for how to spice up my side of the intro. I'm not sure where this is coming from. This relationship is mm-hmm. hostile. Mm-hmm. It's not hostile. You, you, you say things like that often. And it's certainly not fair or accurate. Last so. last episode, about six weeks ago, I mentioned how that it's intro today. that intro is uh, a cry, a mental health crisis, if you will. And your response this week is to you, you're not you're, you're just it doesn't even make sense what you're saying. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it's just sort of like it's not even tethered to reality so it's like how much should i you should even listen to you shouldn't work in the mental health field because this is not you shouldn't you're no you're acting like you know what you're doing you shouldn't act like a professional when you have no idea what you're talking about i know that about the mental health field don't tell me how to do something you don't know how to do yourself i'm a doctor no, you're an American, and you think you're a doctor. That's all of us. All Americans are doctors. We have to be because uh, we have to feel, treat ourselves. Sure, feels like it. Sure. We have to treat, treat ourselves for all wounds. Dude, I've got to tell you this very quickly. Okay. I, I'm going to do stand up about it at some point, mm-hmm. but I just have so much good material, Dave. I can't figure sure, out where to put it. Sure. But my cousin, when I was in England, was telling me this story that I remember. I just don't remember this part of it. So. She lives in England, and she'd come to L.A., and I was showing her around, and, we, and I, I had a gig at, like, some raffle thing or whatever, so I was hosting some raffle. Things were good career-wise, too. Um, so I'm hosting this raffle, and she enters, or I, with one of my free raffle tickets, enter and win this enormous bottle of Casadores tequila, like, enormous bottle of Casadores tequila. And so we are going around just to a couple parties, and we were drinking it, Anyway, that night, she's staying at my apartment with me, one bedroom, so I'm like, you can go sleep in my bed, and I'll just sleep on my floor in my Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles sleeping bag, Mm -hmm. which I did. Mm -hmm. In the middle of the night, after much Casadores, I had to take a piss. I go, I take a piss, I'm coming out of the bathroom, and I just walk into my wall, because I'm like disoriented as far as where I'm sleeping, and and there's a lot of Casadores going through me, Mm -hmm. and um, so... I lay down, and I feel my face, and I just feel that it's covered in blood. So I'm like, oh, shit. So I have to wake her up covered in blood. So I'm like, morning. Hey, I need to go somewhere to get stitches. And so I figure I, it's not too far away from where I'm going. I'm living in Koreatown at the time. I go to this 24-hour rapid care. And when I'm in there, because of I had no insurance, and because of price, I was negotiating the doctor down from seven stitches to five for price. <laughs> and she was like, what? is happening right now and i'm just going can you get away with five and he's like maybe five 
And I was like, yeah, I remember all that and even that part of it, but I remember it not being strange to me at all. Oh, it was just... So beautiful. What I was doing was I was just <laughs> so. negotiating down the medical care that was necessary in order to be able to afford my food. <laughs> and she was like, this country is not great. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not good. Yeah. Called it, quote, his jam pad. Jam pad? I'm the fucking hippo guy. Dave, okay. My name's Gary. <laughs> My name's Gary. Wait. Is it for fun? And this is not going to become the Tiggly Podcast. Okay. This is like Adam. On a five-part coefficient. <laughs> My room's a Now hit him with the puppy. You both present sick arguments. <laughs> no sleep tell hippo. No sleep tell hippo. Action part. Hi, Gary. No. Nicely done, my friend. No. No. <laughs> June 1894. So where we last left uh, off, the uh, the workers... Things were good. ...at uh, the Pullman Car Company have gone on strike. The Pullman town is a unbelievable nightmare. And the GMA, which is the um, General Managers Association, a bunch of Richie anti-union railroad guys in Chicago have decided to go to war with the uh, American Railroad Union, which is run by Eugene Debs and, um, and is boycotting in support of the strike. Right. Now, the GMA has decided well. to bring the U.S. into this. And President Grover Cleveland's attorney general was a guy named Richard Olney. Now, Richard Olney had been a, uh, he, he was a Boston corporate lawyer for 35 uh, years representing railroads. Okay. So he's the attorney general. Yeah. So he, this, the umpire is, yeah. It's all good. Perfect role. He, yeah, it's not a problem. He's still on several railroad boards. Yes, but Dave, he's able to divest his brain from that commitment and also at the same time, it's like when Michael Jordan was the ref uh, when the when he was still playing for the Bulls. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's fine. It's how it works. Uh, Kelly, I should say, who Kelly is again. Um, Kelly wrote the book The Edge of Anarchy, uh, Jack Kelly, and a lot of this is taken from his work. So, uh, With the help of Sarah June. Mm, Sarah, that's right, correct. Sarah June did the research on this. Um, so Kelly, quote... He was said never to have had direct contact with any member of the working class except his own servants. Well, that's, I mean, that, that's a man of the people. He disowned his daughter for marrying a lowly dentist. <laughs> a dentist? I mean, what? So, oh, man. So okay. Olney is just a nightmare of a human being. <laughs> right. It's just, I mean, wow, that is crazy. A dentist doesn't seem that bad. Uh, and so only as a, uh, as a railroad man and attorney general of the United States is now determined to crush the strike. Uh, sorry, Dave, you misspoke. Determined to figure out the problem and help. Crush. To decipher the issues and make sure that they are able Squeeze to. Squeeze the life out of. Help and the existence negotiate of a middle. 
find. <laughs> Holy shit. So he argues the boycott is illegal because it obstructed interstate commerce and U.S. mail. And U.S. mail is the key. U.S. mail is a big fucking deal. All right. Everyone's like the mail must go through. And so that's like a big thing. Right. Right. He told a railroad agent in Chicago that the U.S. was going to crush the strike there because failure in Chicago would assure it wouldn't spread everywhere else. Right. Right. You're going to the epicenter. But it really already has. But he's more worried about, you know, Chicago is really shut down compared to other places. So he's worried that will happen everywhere. And it's and it's getting heated in other, you know, California, Oakland. There's a a lot of fighting going on. It's, It's definitely getting heated in other places. Right. Okay. A U.S. attorney goes to a GMA meeting and assures them of Attorney General Olney's support. And then he asks them, as U.S. attorney, to hand over the names of strikers who were stopping the mail. This is really cool and fair. And that's what I love about it, is that it's fair. It's fair. It's also... Sure. It's- I know when I cheated on my wife, I suggested we go into counseling and I'll be the therapist. <laughs> It's also a wink, like, oh, by the way, the mail's really important. Wink, wink. Yeah. Yeah, right. So it's, it's direct collusion between the government and, uh, and the businesses. Yes. It's what we call um, the economy. Eugene <laughs> <laughs> Debs gave specific instructions to strikers and boycotters that trains carrying mail cars were to be allowed through. So any train with mail... Goes through. Okay. So mail is mail's off limits. It's that important. And yet, some mail have been delayed in Indiana, Idaho, and San Francisco. But most mail is getting through. Some cars are, cars are rerouted, but like, it's going through. I feel like we're going to find a wedge issue. <laughs> now, they've been hiring scabs since the beginning, but scabs in different city, cities start quitting. Some are even joining the union. What, there should just be a scab union. <laughs> we demand scab rights. Scabs have feelings too. But in other places like Omaha, workers are refusing to boycott or strike. In Denver, train right. engineers convinced the porters, who had been rejected by the a- ARU, to couple Pullman cars. So this is the this is the this is the point where when when the ARU didn't vote to bring in black porters that right. they're now paying for that. Paying the price, right. So right. black newspapers are not supporting the strike. They're saying, fuck right. this shit. Some black journalists called the strike a white man's war. Yeah, you just, it, you cannot have exclusivity with class. No. Like, you know, it's... It's yeah. It's again. It's all. It's always astounding how racist Americans can be. It's, a, it's there's no there's no ceiling. It's impressive. <clears throat> it is. So supervisors started coupling mail cars to the back of Pullman cars. Uh, so they're basically just like, huh? <laughs> what are you going to do now? What a quandary! <laughs> right. So if the Pullman car is detached, the mail car would be too. Mm-hmm. Then they put. Mail cars on all suburban passenger trains, which brought those trains under federal protection. So they're just using the mail cars. So, yeah, they're just, right. They're just finding wiggle room 
to make it so, and really, I mean, essentially, like what they are doing is setting it up so that if they're like that, once bullshit is called, then it's fully on the striking yeah. workers. It's fully their issue. Uh, so, Chief U.S. Marshal John Arnold recruits five thousand marshals in Chicago. Okay. At first, he's just picking random dudes off the street. Smart. That's good. But railroad managers convince him it would be better to pick from their their workers. And they right. pick their... I mean, imagine being that blind to begin with. Like, oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, <laughs> that probably... They'd like that. Okay, right. Well... Because that... Right. No, he's picking guys that are want to kick ass off the street. Oh. He's not gotcha. random. He's picking guys. He's like, do you, do you like to hurt people? Right. He's picking... Beaters and clubbers is, I believe, the positions yeah. we refer to them as. So, uh, so they start picking from the railroad workers who are supportive, strongest guys, devoted. Right. They swear them in, give them a U.S. Marshal's badge, a gun. I believe the, the medical term is bootlicker. <laughs> give them a badge, a gun, and then send them out to arrest strikers. Well, yeah. I mean, you'll never, you'll never be able to compete with giving people power over other people in this country. Uh, it's the way of manufacturing status. Uh, so these guys that are being taken out of the railroad ranks are being paid by the railroads and at the same time are authorized to arrest and use deadly force. Jesus Christ. Okay. On several occasions, Chicago police arrested the marshals for, quote, indiscriminate shooting. Well, I mean, so that used to be illegal in America. <laughs> That's interesting. A union leader in Chicago spoke to a group of Chicago and Northwestern rail union men. And at this point, he's angry. And he called George the, quote, rottenest hearted ind- individual who ever stood on American soil. And then he yelled, I'd like to see him hung. Uh, and the men started chanting, let's hang him. Oh, boy. Uh-oh. Oh, dear. Uh-oh. <laughs> Somebody's pissed. <laughs> but as this is going on, more and more people are joining the union. They're saying, well, this is powerful. Right. So the chief U.S. marshal sends marshals by stagecoach to places important in the strike effort where strikers move trains and remove, Have a good, remove Pullman cars right. and switch cars to let mail cars through, right? Those places. Strikers in one of those places had attacked a scab and threatened to kill a scab crew and in Hammond had stopped a train carrying a Pullman dining car, moved it onto a sidetrack, then boarded it and feasted on the steaks, ice cream, and champagne. Oh. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Those guys win. Those guys. I know. It's just, it is. And it's like, it's unfortunate that that's like the littlest victory. We're like, yeah, that'll, they ate their lobster. <laughs> it's like, it's so little, but it is just anything to just uh, dent it. You just think about how much joy those guys were getting. Like, yeah. Yeah. No. <clears throat> yes, exactly. Yeah. The strike has a lot of support around the country. Railroad magnates, they're hated. The railroad guys are just hated even by other businessmen, because they're greedy, just poor management, they're monopolies, right? must be hard to be a railroad magnate. <laughs> I mean, they're made of steel. You're going to go right to it. It is true. Hard to get up from it. Yeah. You know, 
you'll stick right. Yeah, you stick to it. Anyway, go ahead. Stick. You, you had. Uh, I'll I'll handle the comedy like this, mm-hmm. and then just you plow through. How do okay? how do magnates work? Well, I'll tell you. You can't put two of them next to each other. They don't want to be around. They just move away from Hello. each other. You know, if you try to get them, the, yeah. it's, yeah, it's yeah, very yeah. difficult. Yeah, it's yeah. hard to. They're magnetic. <laughs> oh. I'm gonna go. <laughs> yeah, please. New, okay. <clears throat> newspapers are against the strike and and the ARU, but they're still ripping into George Pullman for stubbornly refusing to arbitrate. What a weird little line. It have. really is. It's completely bizarre, but he's so evil that you can't deny it. You can't so defend he, it. He's, he's, yes, but you can defend his practice. It's really weird. Well, they want, they want to have a less brutal capitalism that's not so blatant. Right, but they need, right, they, right essentially. Uh, the, the choice not to arbitrate looks worse and worse as the strike goes on. The press starts calling Pullman cold-blooded, cold-hearted, soulless. Debs called him greedy as a horse leech. Uh Then did he start wearing a (laughs) (laughs) fuck-off ring? He got a headband and wrote fuck-off on it and just wore that around. Yeah, yeah. Um, A strike spokesman explained why they were striking. Quote, we do not expect the company to concede our demands. We didn't... We do not know what the outcome will be. And in fact, we do not care much. We do know we are working for less wages than we'll maintain ourselves and our families in the necessaries of life. And on that proposition, we absolutely refuse to work any longer. So they're just saying, like, it's just untenable. Like, even if we lose, it doesn't fucking matter because we're not able to survive anyway. So what's the fucking point? Well, yeah, it's I mean, the stakes for the people who are striking are so much higher because you're just like, yeah, well, no, we're like trying to survive. Yeah. We can't. We can't and survive. Like, oh, it's a pretty nice negotiating tactic. <laughs> so, on Monday, July second, two anti-union judges on the U.S. Circuit Court issued a very broad injunction that had been written by Attorney General only. Uh, the 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 unbiased rep. That's correct. As we call it. So basically. A railroad guy got a law passed. It's when the police investigate themselves. Yes, that's right. It turns out... uh, Oh, we actually uh, found out no uh, no, uh, intentional wrongdoing. (laughs) Really? Crazy. How did that go? Well, it's uh, internal. So the injunction restrained, commanded, and enjoined organizer Eugene Debs, the ARU and all other persons combining and conspiring with them from interfering or encouraging anyone to interfere with railroad what a traffic. crazy... What, I mean, again, how, like... It's just... It's crazy. They, it's crazy. They're essentially saying that the union leaders cannot communicate with any union members. So, and... It's just amazing how we mince freedom of speech constantly. Oh, yeah. It's like one of the things that we're like, that's what makes us different. <laughs> and yet it's like the thing that we're like still basically not allowed to do if it affects the establishment. That's right. Yeah. So it, it, this, this order basically made what was perfectly legal in normal times now illegal. Right. Once a man committed a forbidden act, like suggesting to a friend that he stay home from work, he could be arrested and locked up. 
One of the judges called it a, quote, gaffing gun on paper. A gaffing gun on paper? Yeah, he's basically saying it's like a fucking machine gun to mow everybody down. It's an order. Oh, oh. It's, oh, it's an order oh. to just take everybody out. Oh, a ga- uh, sorry, I thought you said gaffing gun. Okay. It's like a Gatling gun on paper. Uh, yeah. So. Right. The. Uh, it might. might I, I, it could be Gatling gun, but it could also be Gaffing gun. It could be different from the time. I don't know. It's a Gaffing gun? I feel like. Could be Gatling gun on paper. Could be. Either way, what we're saying is they've weaponized law. Yeah. And that's cool. And that's one of the judges saying that. And that's cool, too. Because that, he. That's cool. It's very cool. Because it shows that they're being fair. Again, no. the system is fair. The system and works. And why question it? It's good for you <laughs> to be a part of it. Just don't ever need too much, and then it's perfect. As That's long right. as you're not one of these whiny writers, you know, who's like, I need rights, then it's tough. But if you're one of these people who just shuts up and goes to work, it's going to be great for you. <laughs> The Chicago Sun-Times said the order was not to prevent people from interfering with trains, but to, quote, lay a foundation for calling out U.S. troops. It's called the Shut the Fuck Up Act. (laughs) That day, Chief Marshal Arnold and a sheriff took 135 deputized men to the Blue Island Railroad Yards outside Chicago, where a train had been derailed on Saturday night. As they approached, a warning bell was rung by a sentinel and uh, over 2,000 men then came and gathered within minutes. This is 2,000 of the workers. Yes. Are get, okay. And others. Right. It's supporters, not just workers. Right, right, right. That's how you use a bell, by the way. Uh, yeah. Also, since the court order forbid Debs from communicating with anyone on the ground, he had to stop... Could, s- but he could communicate through de- bell. <laughs> yeah. He's like, ding, right. ding, 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 ding. He's trying to tell us something. What is it, Debs? Bing, 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 bing. Oh, boy, they're coming closer. Well, he had been spending all his time telling everyone to remain calm, sending out telegrams, everyone calm down, this is going to be fine. Like, that's what he'd been doing. So now he's not, now he's not allowed to do that. Right. So f- right, right. So what are... And, okay, go ahead. Sorry. So five passenger trains have been stuck at Blue Island Rail Yard for a day and a half. The marshals tried to move them. The crowd stopped them, standing 100 deep across the track to not let them near. A fight breaks out. Marshals and deputies start swinging their clubs. They're dragging people out of the crowd and arresting them, but then their, their fellow strikers would pull them out and free them. A train engineer was hit in the head by a stone. Men pulled coupling pins to break the train into separate cars. After dozens of deputies, quote, literally fell over one or another in their rush to the rear... They gave up. So they beat back the, the deputies and the, they beat them back. Right. And they fled. Okay. Good. Good. They bled, the old bled and fled. Yeah, the bleed and flee. Bleed and fleed. Um, yeah. So Arnold, the chief marshal, then gets up on the, a mail car and he says he's going to read an order from the federal government. Okay. Wouldn't that be a good way to start? <laughs> like, isn't that the wrong order? Shouldn't you do that? And then be like, oh, no. Oh, violence. Instead, he's like, violence. Oh, son of a bitch. I think we're going to have to try to talk to him. <laughs> well, 
At first, everyone, everyone listens quietly. They're like, okay, what does this guy have to say? And he says, quote, I command you in the name of the President of the United States to, dis- <laughs> to disperse Boo. and go to your homes. Boo. We don't have homes anymore, you prick. <laughs> and then they just lose it. Quote, to hell with the courts and we are the government. And then they drag bag- baggage cars across the tracks to stop any trains from passing. Man. So. The power. Arnold Wires only, quote, I'm here at Blue Island, having read the order of the court to the rioters, and they simply hoot at it. Mail trains are in great danger. Yes, we've got to watch out for the lives of these train cars. So They matter, too. Uh, so the court order also allowed President Cleveland to send troops into Chicago from Fort Sheridan 50 miles away. Okay. Wow. Now it's wow. I, I mean, it, it's like we're always in a civil war. It's just sometimes it's official. I mean, yeah. I mean, labor versus capital is always. Yeah, constantly. Now there's I, class. I mean, it's not a coincidence yeah. that Fort Sheridan is 50 miles away from Chicago. Fort Sheridan had actually been a pet project of a guy named George Pullman. I was, are you kidding? So he's got the Pullman army? I mean, this is like, Jeff Bezos is going to need to change his shorts if he hears this. He'll be like, oh, there's just too much cum. Oh, I'm just covered. Oh. Yeah, so George, another Chicago businessman, after the Haymarket bombing, they thought that troops, the closest troops were at Fort Leavenworth, so they're like, that's too far away. So they sent, so they sent a we'll civ- build a fort. Yeah. It's called Fort Pullman. Pullman, we now have a fucking army, Pullman. It's now officially crazy because we have an army. Pullman, it's a whole fort, Pullman. (laughs) So they send a Civil War hero to Washington to lobby for a fort closer to Chicago, and they got it. (laughs) Man. Uh. And now they're proven right. Well, yes, technically, yes. The commander of the troops asked President Cleveland if he should order... President Pullman. <laughs> uh, Cleveland, <laughs> Pull, sorry. Pull Cleveland. Pull, clip, sip. If he should order his men to fire on rioting strikers. Cleveland responded... Man, oh man. Cleveland responds, the commander should, quote, be the judge on questions of that kind. Man, oh man. That is so... Fucking crazy. And the commander was literally says things like, and we'll start shooting and not, oh, not stop until we I'm, want to. I'm sure. Well, Dave, you normally find that those people at the, the army heads are pretty calm. No, a, a guy who's like, like, hey, can I just no, no. kill American citizens? And, and then that guy's fine. Well, uh, use at your own discretion. <laughs> oh, okay, because I'm going to try to kill them. I love killing them. Well, if you think it's right. I do think it's right. Situation by situation. Every situation to me is one where murder needs to happen. You will see and decide when you get there. I've already predetermined I will kill as many people as I can. Good luck. (laughs) On July 3rd. It's crazy. That's so crazy. On July 3rd, when according to the order, they were supposed to return to work, Pullman laborers did not return to work. This meant that they were committing a crime, according to the order. Yep. And the violent one at that. Only then announced that Eugene Debs would be arrested on conspiracy charges and contempt of court. The guy who they silenced. Yeah. 
You, sh- you shut up too much. Now that that's the crime. Troops from Fort Sheridan arrived in Chicago by train, horse, and uh, a flat car just after midnight on July 4th. It would be so great if those trains got like sidetracked. <laughs> Damn it. They, uh. they marched through the streets to Lakefront Park. They were cheered by middle-class residents. Uh, there we go. There's our... There's The solution, the problem. (laughs) So they arrive outside of Pullman that morning. At first, there's a very sort of quiet sense of defeat by the strikers when this happens. There's also like a, it was described as like a really weird calmness in the air, like a resignation. Resignation, but also like, fuck this. Like, it's a very interesting. Sort of feel. Yeah. Well, when like it's this when you take away everything from people, don't be surprised when they fight like they have nothing to lose. Well, and then you know the crowds that are gathering, they're not just workers. Now you have just immigrants, unemployed people, unskilled work. Like it's it's a gathering of recognizing that this is a representation of many things. Yeah. Troops, it's a class amalgamation. Troops are also sent out around the country to different locations. In Colorado, the governor said the U.S. Marshals were being allowed to create a private army, quote, waging an active war in Colorado without any declaration thereof by the U.S. and utterly in violation of the law. A conservative paper headline the next day read, quote, Governor Waite on Anarchy's Side. Oh, my God. Like, he's literally saying, uh, you're sending in fucking troops to wage war on Americans, and a conservative paper's yeah. like, well, okay, anarchist. All right. <laughs> All right, Antifa. <laughs> and remember, this is this is when people are terrified of anarchists. This is when anarchists are assassinating, and right? So when right. the term anarchy is very loaded. That's cool that they used it then. Uh, A federal attorney in Los Angeles told only that open rebellion was a legitimate possibility. In Ogden, Utah, strikers set fires in seven different parts of the city right when troops arrived. Railroad bridges were burned in Carlin, Nevada, in response to troops. Wow. George went and spoke to the press. His version of events was that workers in his plant had been satisfied until the... ARU got in their ears. It's it's so, yeah, because he's like, I went down there and walked around and no one said anything. I talked to three people who pay, I pay very well, and they said everything was fine. (laughs) He's basically saying the ARU created the Pullman strike and it has nothing to do with the people not being able to fucking eat. No. And, well, by the way, even if it did, that's okay. Yeah, it is okay. You're allowed to do that. George refused to give in to the ARU's demand for arbitration, saying, quote, the Pullman company could not settle the strike now. If it could, it is now in others' hands. So he's saying it's just, there's nothing we can do. Is the Pullman company, what are we going to do? It's Pay very, people better? Very, very much how we're handling climate change, where they just go, it's not there, it's not there, it's not there. Well, now that it's here, I don't know what we can do about it. <laughs> he continued to, you know, say that, he had a right to set his own wages and rents as he chose. Quote, 
-hmm. The question, to my mind, has resolved itself to this. Shall the railroads be permitted to manage their own business, or should they turn it over into the hands of Debs Howard and the American Railway Union? I know the answer. Is it rhetorical? Yeah, they should turn it over, actually. They should totally be work, yeah. worker-owned. If that's the, sure. Is that the thing yeah. that you're... <laughs> yes, I think, yeah, uh, yeah. A lot of us are saying that sounds pretty good for a change. Hey, what if the... Uh, what if it was turned over to those people? Do you think that there would be, you know, fucking fighting in the street and all the... Do you remember the term bone soup? <laughs> so the next morning, the mood changed. As the sun rose, a mob of thousands of workers appeared over the horizon of Pullman. Mm, I'm picturing nice fog, a long shot as they sort of crest over the hill, Dave. We're seeing him silhouetted An back. eagle swipes, s- flies low. Oh! And- <laughs> A sick eagle. <laughs> um, a railroad agent shot two in a crowd on the Illinois Central line. Wow. Okay. The crowd attacked the yards. That seems, that, that, sorry, that just happened right away? A guy just... In the morning. Railway, in the morning. The, just, look, the troops came, and then everyone is like, fuck this. I mean, basically... You had a situation where there was a strike, and now they're bringing people in to kill them, and everyone's like, fuck this shit. It's, okay. it's the spark. Having the troops right. there is the spark. Yes, right. Um, at Pullman, armed troops stood their ground, so the mob overturned rail cars, burned station houses, and went on a rampage that lasted at least three miles along the coastline of Lake Michigan. They torched buildings and rail cars full of merchandise. As the morning progressed, the crowd swelled to 10,000 and now outnumbered troops three to one. And, and what are the troops doing? They're just kind of letting it happen? Uh, no, they're trying to stop it, but it's just too right. big. I mean, it's just it's too... It's overwhelming. Right, right, yeah. President Cleveland was supervising everything from Washington, and he ordered the Illinois National Guard and more troops from bordering states to converge on Pullman in Chicago. All through the night, fires grew, and the crowd became more disorderly and irritated. The local police reported that at least 20 men were killed as fires raged and buildings crumbled. Crazy. That night, the White City, the wood, iron, and plaster structure that had housed the Columbian Exposition the year before was burned down. But again, that's... As we stated before, that just sounds like, oh, why'd they do that? But again, the opulence... The it's a yeah. it's a rich it's a it's rich a, fair for a, rich people, right? Yeah, they're yeah. not burning anything. By they the care way, about. if there's any time to get the screw jacks back, it's for this occasion. <laughs> Just move the things. Time to you know jenga the situation. Uh, newspaper headlines the next day: Mob will is law. Oh, I can't. I can't. I can't. Of <laughs> the uneducated angry for some reason again. <laughs> Rioters defy Uncle Sam's troops. Oh, the poor hate America. Can you believe it? Uh, Regulars powerless before Chicago's riotous army. And then my favorite, guns awe them not. Wait, what is that one? Guns awe them not. Oh. I mean, they... Like, I could still... I would still be able to read these and be like, these are good things that are happening. (laughs) Like, these are people who are fighting hard. 
guns awe them not. Uh, the workers didn't care. They kept going on. The next day, the crowds overturned 150 empty boxcars on a mile-long stretch of tracks near the stockyards. <gasps> they set fire to isolated switching towers and other railroad Dave, this property. is like Hulk-level damage. <laughs> yeah, oh, no, it's crazy. 150 cars in a day. The arson spread during the afternoon, and by nightfall, a roaring wall of fire had formed along the tracks from 55th to 61st Street, a few blocks west <laughs> of the site of the fair. Six, six blocks of a firewall. <laughs> Cars filled with meat, coal, and relief provisions meant to help the Pullman strikers burn. Okay. But... Well, s- some of the coal cars are really burning. That's going to happen. I, yeah. I apologize that we did that to but, ourselves. If you can get some of the meat out there early, just mm. it's like deliciously oh. braised. Oh. Falling off the bone. Uh, more than one person noted that the 700 freight cars that burned along the Panhandle Road outside the stockyard seemed to be, be set on fire very quietly and systematically. Hmm. Interesting. The accusation would be put out there, but never never proven, that the railroads had hired uh, provocateurs to ramp up the riots and do more arson. So it does come down to the, again, like the optics of damaging property. Yeah, I mean, look, we saw it in Black Lives Matter. A cop, we saw cops clearly dressing up in black gear and breaking windows and stuff. We we see, yeah. we've seen it it's it's what it's what well, it's what they've always done against unions and union actions they send guys in to do bad shit right yeah it's just part of the game it always has been yeah and it's also it's like i mean yeah like i understand being even if it's not like i get being upset by you know riots and things but how do you not understand what's happening it's like if you keep breaking the back of people, they will, you know, there's going to be some damage. Well, there's going to be collateral damage. Also, people don't, uh, it's very strange to me that people don't seem to understand this. The way to fight capitalism is to harm yeah. it, its ability to make profit. Yeah. And the, the way to harm its ability to make profit is to destroy property. That's yeah, so how when you're this going, works. Well, what did the target do to you? It's like, well... <laughs> <laughs> we don't have much. I mean, I don't know how you penetrate the impenetrable. I mean, when you tell people not to harm property, you're basically saying don't don't fight capitalism the way it, it you can do the most harm to it. I mean, essentially. Yeah. So. Um, well, yeah, and that, uh, anyway, yeah. Um. So. A, a lot of the targets of arson turned out to be worn out and surplus freight cars without any Pullman cars attached. So that's another thing that's like, well, that's weird that that's burning. They're avoiding Pullman cars and going after cars that don't yeah. really matter. Sounds <laughs> Pullman. Boy, we're sure lucky somehow. <laughs> shh, 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 shh. Pullman. Also, uh, fire department officials reported that when firefighters put out blazes on the night, quote, they caught men in the act of cutting the hose and that these men were the badges of deputy marshals. Well, I mean, that's just sloppy. <laughs> take off your badges. Yeah, take your, put it in your pocket, for God's sake. <laughs> so no previous day before the six had 
damage to property been more than four thousand dollars? Well, that changed. Well, yeah, on the sixth, it was three hundred and forty thousand dollars. It's a bit of a. It's a, it's higher. Tick. It's higher by a bit. Yeah. The corporations then announced they intended to sue the city for one million in damages because police had failed to protect their property. And now more people are like, okay, well, that's even more suspicious. Like you're now you're like, oh, we're gonna be fine. We'll make money. We'll make our money. Right. Right. Um, that night, the Illinois National Guard had rocks thrown at them by some teens, and their captain told them to load their rifles. And that caused... But, I mean, what? Are you kidding? Like, that is just... I mean, again, like... It, I, come on, you're the, the job is peace. <laughs> they threw rocks at us. Well, it's time to start killing. <laughs> yeah, so... When that happened, it caused more people to come and see what was going on. And pretty soon, several thousand people are there. And they start throwing stones at the guard. The cops are there now. The cops shoot over the the head of the crowd. People get more uh, angry when that happens. They start throwing more stuff. And then a guardsman gets hit by a large stone and knocked out. And the captain gave the order to fire. They shot into the crowd. People, Jesus Christ. People drop. All hell breaks loose. One man who was there, quote, then ensued the real rioting. I, I mean, <laughs> I feel like we've really heard a lot already. <laughs> okay. So now it's just street battles. Soldiers are charging at crowds with bayonets and just stabbing people. People are fighting back. It spreads out. It's happening in alleys, in streets. They're kicking in. Cops are kicking in doors of billiard uh, rooms where people are trying to hide, and people are like, there's just blood all over the floor. That would be my move. Just take the cue. Uh, I'll go one off the cush. Hello, officer. What seems to be the issue? I was just trying to w- get the one ball in the corner off the cushion. People are shooting guns out of apartments at the cops. Cops are shooting this back. Is... Many who were shot were taken to homes and their deaths were never reported because they're these insular immigrant communities. A lot of people say that they were being counted as COVID deaths. <laughs> That's why the numbers got so high. Uh, at, at, at the end of this night, it, they say at least six were dead, but it could be much higher. It could be up into the 30s. Right. Because you're not counting the, that basic uh, street triage. Yeah. Um, and the Chicago Tribune headline was, quote, Day of Blood. Okay, so the papers are finally finding the right, the right headline. Uh, yeah. Not very biased. That, that is so crazy, though. Like, you, that, you know, you see that that happens. It's just crazy when that happens, when it's just like, yeah, okay, just shoot at them. I mean, it's just nuts. Yeah, it's really crazy. So, uh, remember, George is at his vacation home in New Jersey. On the Jersey Shore. Oh, gosh. I, I hope that he could not hear any of the gunfire. I know he was far away, but good Lord, David, he's trying to relax. Again, he's done nothing wrong. He's done nothing wrong. 
nothing wrong. So he heads to his vacation home in up in New York, Castle Rest. Castle Castle Rest, right? <laughs> he told the reporter he did not feel up to giving an interview. "Quote: I am so worn out and tired." Oh, you wouldn't understand. I feel like I've been shot. That's how tired I am. I feel like blood is draining from me. I'm exhausted. Uh. The strike has gone beyond me, and I could say little Uh. of interest. To me at this point, I've been there, seen it. Move on. Good Lord. I'll tell you, the only thing I'd be interested in is getting some rest in a Pullman diamond car. (laughs) Pullman diamond cars, unbelievable beds and rest areas. Pullman. Dip some lobster into that butter, then put an oyster in your mouth and chew some cheese. Have a nap, Pullman. Pullman diamond cars. Pullman, I'm the real victim. (laughs) (laughs) Pressure is now building to call for a general strike. Yes. The Building and Trains Council, representing 25,000 workers, voted for a sympathy strike and called for a nationwide general strike. Oh, David. On July 8th in Hammond, Indiana, soldiers fired into a crowd blocking trains. The mayor, quote, I would like to know by what authority U.S. troops came in here and shoot our citizens without the slightest warning. Well, finally, like, yes, fair. In Spring Valley, Illinois, troops fired into a crowd killing two. Detroit Mayor Hazen Pingree traveled to Chicago with telegrams from the mayors of 50 cities urging Pullman to negotiate a settlement. Oh, I would, but uh, I'm just so tired. (laughs) I've been in the pool all day. You know how the sun gets you. (sighs) Everyone got the same answer. Quote, nothing to arbitrate. Wow. God damn, you know, I just hope there's a point in this story where someone's pouring oil into his mouth saying, there's nothing to arbitrate. There's nothing to arbitrate. (laughs) A Chicago alderman met with Wicks and heard that same thing again. He is he was shocked the the company wouldn't budge with everything that's going on. I mean, it's it's battles in the street and they're like, "Mm." yeah, but I mean, to what to what like we've been saying I mean, as far as a general impact upon this person's life... Nothing. It's not much. Absolutely nothing. Wicks told the alderman, quote, There's a principle involved in this matter which the Pullman Company will not surrender. We must manage our own business. We cannot allow our employees to do it for us. They're mm-hmm. not we managing not, the business. Not, They're asking for we, a living fucking wage. We do not negotiate with terrorists. <laughs> Okay, this is ludicrous what they're asking for. Unbelievable. It's disgusting. The greed of these workers. Oh, oh, this is why they don't deserve summer homes. Um, of course, President Cleveland now sent more troops, eight infantry companies around the country. Awesome. Good work. By July 10th, the militia had broken the blockade of trains in the stockyard. So all of these all of these armies and deputies and, you know, they start, finally they start breaking through enough. and getting the stockyards running. Right. Right. Federal marshals on July 10th plundered the ARU office. They went in, they seized books and documents and mail and notes. The Department mm-hmm. of Justice would later call this completely illegal. 
Oh, interesting. Because it sounds highly illegal. <laughs> On July 11th, Eugene Debs was arrested, and he would be sentenced to six months in an Illinois jail. What did he do? Yeah, you shut up too much. He, you know, he... Uh, yeah, he's to them. I mean, yeah, he's. I mean, I know what he did, but it's like, what did they get him on? Anything new? You know, it was conspiracy to uh, be cool. Right. I think Same. is the right. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, possession of empathy. Now, uh, before he's jailed, he tries to call for a general strike. He he really saw the writing on the wall. He was like, "This is a fucking thing that can change right everything." Right, right. Uh, it doesn't happen. The uh, other national unions, like the AFL and the Knights of Labor, refused to join. Awesome. The military invasion, Deb's arrest, and the breakdown of communication between the strike committee throughout the country and the hard line stance of the Pullman Company just unified the will of the General Managers Association. And hmm. then the the riot fever was quieting down, and that caused the ARU boycott to collapse. Hmm. Oh, it just takes so much. I mean, it just takes so much. You've got to be able to give so much. I mean, really, there was there was momentum. Everything was moving towards yeah. this. It looked like a general strike could be a thing, and then really the AFL killed it. I mean, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, I mean, it's very much like the, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's you're it, it's uh yeah. it's uh from an emotional standpoint it's it, it feels like betrayal if you're out there boycotting and striking and then the other union is like hey, you're on your own the unions have to support each other and work together and fight together and if they don't then it's you're deflating the balloon well and and it eventually comes like that temporary decision to not disrupt your life temporarily or your union temporarily is good for you in the moment, but look at where we are now and where, you know, we've been long-term. That is the downside is that they will, they, I mean, it just, the second that you have a strong union, they're trying to what, you know, they're trying to break into it. They're trying to break it down. Yeah. They want it gone. Like, so it takes everything. Yeah. You're being stalked by capitalism. On July 4th, a Chicago Tribune headline read, Deb's Strike Dead. Wow. On July 18th, Just... the uh, army was ordered to leave. Now, people kept dying in incidents around the country. There was still stuff flaring up. and The Illinois governor visited Pullman. Now, the Illinois governor was very labor-friendly and, and really mad at um, Pullman, Pullman and President Cleveland. Right. So he visits Pullman, and it's a nightmare. People are starving. He, oh, he visits the city. Yeah. He asks George Pullman, quote, I assume that you will not be willing to see them perish. Oh, my God. Finally. And George's answer was basically, well, it's their fault. I can't do anything. Well, they did this. What am I supposed to do? Put food in them? The governor then put a call out for charities to help. And newspapers. Oh, that's how you know things are good. 
Newspapers, you know, jumped on it. Uh, people responded. George's refusal to help those people would never be forgotten. He would always be viewed as a monster. Good God, man. I mean, ugh. Um, so President Cleveland appointed a three-member strike commission to investigate the events. I think that was legally, <laughs> legally he had to do that. Right, I was going to say. I mean, it's like, oh, really? I, and tell me, who, who was at fault here, President Cleveland, <laughs> about the decisions that President Cleveland helped make? <laughs> the commission found George Pullman's policy had left his workers, quote, without local attachments or any interested responsibility in the town, its business, tenements, or surroundings. His, That's putting it nicely. His ultimate design was you know, far from offering a, a great social order. Instead, it had torn the entire country apart. So he, he was trying to curate the perfect capitalist community. And what he did was fucking destroy a country. He, he created the perfect capitalist community. (laughs) I mean, that's essentially what he did. Uh, they, the commission, uh, criticized, the company's refusal to arbitrate saying they were quote impressed with the belief by the evidence and by the attendant circumstances as to closed that a different policy would have prevented the loss of life and great loss of property and wages occasioned by the strike. Uh-huh. The secretary of state of the U S called for George Pullman to resign from his company. Wow. Now George was questioned by the strike commission. How old is he now? He's in his early 60s. He's 130? No, he's in his 60s. Oh, he's, he's still not, in his he's 60s. He's not that old. Okay. Um, they asked why he created the, the Pullman, and he read a prepared answer. Quote, working... I want all the, I want all the stuff. I want it all! <laughs> I deserve all the things and the stuff. Quote, working people are the most important element which enters into the successful operation of any manufacturing enterprise. The town, he said, was an attempt to attract the best class of mechanics, and he wanted to eliminate baneful influences, which he meant... I can't believe how honest these people He meant <laughs> saloons and brothels, and quote, other bad places. Uh-huh. uh-huh. So right. that was why he refused to let the employees buy their homes because he thought they might use it for naughty things. Right. Yes. So he no, could he course. could kick in out any bad element at any time. Yeah, that's how you create the Yeah, that's how you do it, Dave. You just make sure that you know people's personal intimate details and then you're able to decide if they will be part of your nightmare factor. And that was part of what the spies were doing. They were keeping an eye on people to make sure that they were in their homes doing the proper things. Yeah, falling in line. Right. Oh, my God. And then he told the commission. What a great... Oh, my God. And then he told the commission, again, he just says this like it's normal, that he wanted to earn a reasonable 6% but never had... He had only gotten a return of 3.82%. He fucking says it out loud. Again, as if it's not the craziest. Again, it, it is, it just, it's like you're just so insulated by your class. So by choosing to ignore everything, by choosing to not listen to anybody, by deciding that you deserve all these things, 
you don't you're not ready to talk to the regular world. You're yeah. not ready to say the things that you actually think because they're fucking crazy. Yeah. It's like when George Bush went to the grocery store <laughs> and didn't know what the scanner was. Yeah. It was like I mean just, you know, just don't go to the store, you idiot. <laughs> don't pretend. <laughs> so the, the commissioners are like, look, since you since the company made so much money, shouldn't they have, quote, borne some of the losses for employees who had been working for a long time? And Pullman's like, well, no, no, that's that would have seemed like a gift to the workers. And he did not Are hand out stupid? gifts. <laughs> I don't give out gifts. Pullman. It's all about me. Pullman. The cars are now filled with money going directly to the train station in my pocket. Pullman. <laughs> quote, it was simply a matter of business. And in any Which is just disgusting. I mean, that essentially is why Jeff Bezos is allowed to be where he is now. Because this is the, you are in this game, it is to acquire everything. So there's nothing wrong with the man who's doing it the best. Yeah. He said it's not true that the, the workers were not getting a living wage because they were living on it, and they currently are. They were eating bones, you <laughs> They were making bone soup, you animal. I mean, my God. And then the commission wanted to know why he wouldn't arbitrate. Quote, it was the principle involved, the principle that a man should have the right to manage his own property. It's not property. <laughs> it's human beings. It's labor, you fuck. Yeah, no. I mean, it makes you wish that Hitler hadn't killed himself to just hear what he had to say. <laughs> you know? Just, what, what, talk, walk me through why it was okay. Let me hear your pitch. Uh, after his testimony, George went back to his mansion and spent the next four days in bed due to exhaustion and nervous depression. Uh, just so tired from being accused of the things I've done. <laughs> oh, it's just exhausting being under that microscope where people are evaluating the crimes against humanity that I've committed. So... Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> So lightheaded from being the worst. Over the next oh. years, George keeps working. Uh, he's making money manipulating stocks. He tries to create cracker and match monopolies. <laughs> but uh -huh. he's always tired. He's always irritable. He's frequently getting sick. He has daily headaches. Right. His friends are talking behind his back that the whole thing could have been avoided, but he was stubborn. He's crossed off yeah. uh, uh, guest lists at the fancy parties. Mm. In June 1897, it was the Pullman's 30th anniversary as, as a couple. Hattie gave George a sterling silver toilet set. Oh, my. What? At, it's, it's, 30, it's the 30th. It's silver. So what about... Stir yeah, but... Yeah, you know, that's the 30th, where we celebrate my husband's bowel movements. I'm wondering if it's like a toilet set. It's like a brush and a comb. And I'm picturing a seat. Yeah, I think that's better. I don't know why I'm picturing little spoons. I just would imagine <laughs> that the elites are like, here, give this to the pores. See if they'll use some of the fecal spoons. In turn... I was born with a silver spoon in my ass. <laughs> In turn, George gave Hattie nothing. <laughs> yep. Cool. Cool. So, well, I mean, it makes you feel like, all right, it wasn't just to the pores. Soon after, he picked out his burial plot in a cemetery. 
Oh, my God. It's going to be a Disney World. Uh, a few months later, George and Hattie fought, and he came back from New Jersey alone. And a couple of days later, he died alone in his sleep at the age of 66 on October 19th. Mm. As he requested, workmen at Graceland Cemetery dug an underground vault lined with concrete into which they put his gets a tomb lead lined coffin, which was wrapped in tar oh my paper. God. So he, this, I mean, this dude is like, shut us. So this guy is making the Pope mobile grave. He's like that concerned about people uprooting him and burning him or cooking yes. him or yes. Fucking him or whatever it is. And I want an armed guard of ghouls. <laughs> I'm looking for the King Tut. Is that possible? The coffin was coated with hot asphalt. They bolted iron rails across the top of the vault. Then they poured on more concrete. It all took two days. He was just worried that the, that the people from the strike would come and dig up his body. And, and oh, my God. <laughs> Which just shows you he knows how fucking wrong he was. It's, it's the dumbest on eight levels. But, yeah, one is the admission of clearly how hated you are. Yeah. And the other is caring so much about your body. I will never like, understand you why care? anybody cares about their body after they die. Why not just shoot yourself to space? Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. You're dead. Who gives a shit what happens you know what to your I mean? body? Yeah. I, I, Dave, I've said it repeatedly. Stuff me and keep me going. Yeah. I want to be at all the events. I want to be doing the stuff. And again. I want to be there. Stuff. I am, of course, tying me to the back of a truck and just drive across the country. Drag you, drag you until you're nothing but uh, whatever leash we've put you Supo. on, and just yeah, until yeah, until until we're able to just make soup bones. So his es- Campbell's bone. <laughs> his estate was estimated at seventeen million, which then, like in now money, that's just fucking crazy. Right. In his will, George is very kind to his daughters, but left his wife much less than an equal share. So Hattie... So he didn't like her. Yeah, it's very strange what the problem is with her. But Hattie used her dower rights, which give a surviving spouse a large share of the property. So she used a law, dower rights, whatever. But she did that mostly so she could support her sons because the twins, George Jr. and Sanger, did not get a lot in the will. Because they were the degenerate shit. They were the Trump sons. Yeah. As teenagers, they had promoted pit bull fights and were often seen riding around Chicago in cabs filled with champagne bottles. I love how that is frowned upon in his household. It's like, (laughs) what? That is what you're doing. Replace pit bull with human beings. They went to Harvard Training School and were ranked 147 and 148 out of a class of 148 students. I love that they were the bottom two. Oh, so great. So they were... (laughs) Like, really is... I mean, holy shit. Talk about belonging in a silver toilet. <laughs> they were taken out of that school and sent to an exclusive uh, boarding school, but their schoolmates there hated them because they were so arrogant. They were only there for one term. Oh, my God. They would for years be in newspapers across the world reporting on their affairs, their drunken antics, and their money problems. So, George... By the way, now they would have over 2 million Twitter followers. <laughs> So when George died, they were only 22, but he was already just like, fuck these guys. Right. And he gave them each a yearly stipend of $3,000. Mm-hmm. 
Wow. They publicly, yeah. they publicly said they're not going to fight the terms of the will. George Jr.'s fiance broke off the engagement after the will was revealed. Love is so strange. <laughs> True love can be so vexing. Uh, after having an affair with a married woman, George Jr. then secretly married his twin brother's fiance. Oh, my God. So we know who was 148. <laughs> his brother. What do you mean? You guys were seeing each other the whole time? Yeah, you idiot. Thank God for you. His brother Sanger then moved in with an, a woman that no one knows who they were. But that relationship ended when Hattie paid the woman $10,000 to leave and never come back. I mean, what a job. (laughs) So uh, how'd you buy the home? It's an interesting story, actually. (laughs) Oh, my Lord. The woman, the fiance who bailed on George Jr. over the will. Right. uh Right. Right. She now comes back, but she's married. And so's George Jr. Okay. Okay. And George Jr.'s wife then leaves him because he starts okay. having an open affair with his ex. With his ex. Him- and then her husband sues George Jr. and wins $50,000 for breaking up Holy his marriage. Holy shit. Wait, hold on. Just to be clear. Yeah, go ahead. There's two, the two George kids. One of the George kids steals the other George, after he's left for not getting enough in the will, he steals his brother's fiance. That's correct. Marries her. Then the ex who left the other one because there was not enough money in the will for her got married, came back. Then George, who stole his brother's fiance, starts banging the girl who left him because there wasn't enough money in the will. And then his current ex-brother fiance wife leaves him because he's banging her. And then her husband, who finds out that she's fucking her ex who she left because she didn't have enough money, is granted 150K? 50K. (laughs) 50K? Jesus Christ. (laughs) Oh, my Lord. It's easier to keep up with the Kardashians. Now, this may surprise you, but both brothers are alcoholics. Uh, for, they were drinking? <laughs> Sanger almost killed the newsboy when he went to an alcoholic health clinic on a horse. He was drunk and ran over the newsboy. <laughs> well, that's how you enter. That's like how Roy Moore was doing his voting that one day. Remember, he rode a horse. And, uh, so you just, to, to your alcohol treatment, you drunkenly ride a horse. <laughs> and you almost... Kill a newsboy. <laughs> Sir, are you sure you want to give up? Well, I know I have a problem. Uh, he's notoriously bad with money. He's always in debt. He was kicked out of the New York Athletic Club for not paying his dues. In 1901, a creditor confiscated Sanger's sister-in-law's luggage, trying to get him to pay a debt. <laughs> uh, wow. George Jr. died of pneumonia in 1901, and Sanger died being thrown from a horse in 1905. They were completely useless spawns of a soulless man and lived like it. I wonder what their graves were like. Oh, God. Just two three-foot holes? Just uh, wine glasses. Yeah. 
George left Arthur Wills, his longtime assistant and porter, on his own private car, $5,000, so about $160,000 today. Okay. He left $125 million to the town of Pullman to underwrite the Pullman Free School of Manual Training, a vocational institute for children of town residents and employees. Man, a death double down. But it's also like... So that's your. This is why rich people shouldn't be allowed to um, be philanthropists and stuff because die with money. Well, what yeah. he did was set up a way for kids to learn how to become Pullman yes. workers. That's all he it set, was. He set up indoctrination factories. Um, the school was open from 1915 until 1949. A year after George's death, wow. the Supreme Court of Illinois ruled that the Pullman Palace Car Company could not operate a company town. It was sold off within 10 years. Oh, that's good that they finally figured it out once he died. <laughs> that's cool. That's great. Uh, 40 years later, the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters, founded by Pullman Porters, became the first labor organization led by African-Americans to be recognized by the American Federation of Labor. Most railroad unions excluded black members until the passage of the Civil Rights Act in 1964. The city of Pullman, Washington, is named in George's honor. The town expected him to build major railroads in Pullman, but the route went instead to Spokane. Asked about Pullman's death, Eugene Debs offered a simple, simple eulogy. He's on equality with the toilers now. At least 34 people died during the uh, Pullman strike across the country. Probably many, many more. Right. Um... You know, it's it's the most f- important, famous, impactful strike labor action in American history. So references um, Carl Smith, Urban Disorder, and The Shape of Belief, The Great Chicago Fire, The Haymarket Bomb, and The Model Town of Pullman. As I said, uh, Jack Kelly, The Edge of Anarchy. Susan Eleanor Hirsch, After the Strike, A Century of Labor, labor Struggle at Pullman. Thomas Crawwell with William Phelps, Failure of the Presidents from the Whiskey Rebellion to the War of 1812 to the Bay of Pigs to the Iran-Contra Affair. Uh, Jimmy Stamp, Traveling in Style and Comfort, the Pullman Sleeper Car. Jimmy Stamp's a great name. That's a fucking awesome name. All right. right, Good to meet you, Dave. We signed Soup Bones. Uh, Actually, Dave, we signed... Pullman cars. That's the only car we'll sign here at the dollop. Pullman cars. Pullman cars. Now we'll put a signature on the car. <laughs> Pullman. That's incoming bullet fire. Pullman. <laughs> hey there, people listening to the dollop. Uh, this is Gareth. Yes, the same guy. I Listen, I have a new podcast called We're Here to Help that I'm doing with my friend Jake Johnson. It's basically a call and advice show where we don't say that we're professionals because we aren't, but we try to help people with problems that are important to them. You can listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts, and it is out right now. So go listen to We're Here to Help with Jake and Gareth. We're here to help with Gareth and Jake. I don't remember how we did it, but either way, fun. Half Hour comes out Tuesday, August 22nd, and episodes will be out every Tuesday and Friday. We're here to help. Oh, hey there, everybody. It's Gareth, you know, from this uh, this podcast. Uh, listen, I've got some stand-up shows. I'm inviting the Garmy, the Gareth Army, 
to join me for. I will be in Fort Collins, Colorado, August 18th and August 19th. I will be in Minneapolis, Minnesota, August 24th through August 26th at Acme. I will be going to the UK in September. Please join me. I will be in Glasgow, September 13th, London, September 15th, Dublin, September 17th, and September 19th, Manchester, Birmingham, September 20th, Bristol, September 22nd, and Cardiff, September 24th. And then in November, I'll be in Australia. November 10th, almost sold out, I think. I'll be in Melbourne, Australia. Then I will be in Northbridge, Australia on November 15th. Adelaide, November 16th. Canberra, November 17th. Brisbane, November 18th. And then I will be in uh, Sydney on November 24th. Go to GarethReynolds.com for tickets. Garmy, let's get at it after it. Let's see you there.